If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This morning we are going to continue our study uh, in which we are investigating all the signs that John has recorded for us in his Gospel. And this morning we come yet again to one of those more well-known miracles, one of the ones that many people know about because it's recorded in three of the Gospels, including John. One of those incidences in Jesus' life that, that most of us are familiar with uh, is the time when Jesus came to his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee walking on the water. It's the, this event is also recorded in, in Matthew chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 6. I won't ask you to turn there, but I will be referencing those passages as well as what we read here in, the, in John's gospel this morning as we, in, as, as we kind of investigate this entire passage All three uh, of those passages there in Matthew, Mark, and in John tell us that this entire situation occurred on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000, 5,000 men along with their wives and children. You'll recall we looked at that this last, this past Sunday, and, and what we learned there was that Jesus used five loaves of barley bread and two small fish to feed this, this massive crowd that had gathered there on the mountainside. And what, when, in studying that, we contemplated what this, that lesson taught us about Jesus and about the way that he works in the world. Well, today, as we examine and read about Jesus striding atop the, the white caps of the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water and calming a storm that had overpowered his disciples, I want us to consider once again what this passage teaches us about Jesus and about his deity and about his power. And then I want us to consider what all of that means for us as we walk and go through the storms of life that we find ourselves in. I imagine all of us recognize what it means to go through the storms of life, to go through really tough times. In fact, some of you, some of you are going through some of those times right now. I prayed with a number of folks over the last couple of weeks that their, their, their faces and their circumstances continue to come to my mind as, as I prepared even to speak from this passage. And, and, and folks that are going through very, very difficult times, facing some, some really difficult struggles in their life. And if you've ever been there, if you're there right now, then this passage that we're going to study this morning is going to be very important for you. You see, John describes what it was like for the disciples to go out on the Sea of Galilee in a literal storm. The wind was blowing and harassing them. The rain was pelting them. The waves were pounding the hull of their boat. But even even though this was an actual and a historical event, we find in it an illustration of what our lives look like when we go through our figurative storms of life when we encounter trials and tribulations. But I want you to know this passage also presents for us the hope that we have in Jesus who comes to us in the midst of those storms. And so that is going to be what drives us this morning and helps us understand this passage. So let's read it together. I want to begin in verse 15 and then read down through verse 21. Hear hear the word of God this morning. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, 
and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea rose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your love and your mercy upon us. Now I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand the truth of your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, as we, we begin our discussion of this passage again, let me just remind you that what we just read occurred right after Jesus had fed the 5,000 along with women and children. It could have been as many as, as 15, 20,000 people. And this multitude was so impressed by what Jesus had done that John tells us there in verse 14 that, that the multitude would have taken Jesus by force if they could have and forced him to become their king. Now, we know that their zeal for making Jesus their king was not based upon the fact that they recognized him as their rightful savior and master and Lord. Rather, as, as Jesus reveals later in the chapter, their only, the only reason that they wanted that was because Jesus had done this great miracle and fed their bellies and satisfied them and satisfied their hunger. After all, if you think about it, who wouldn't want a king like that? Who wouldn't want a king that could take care of all of your needs and make sure that you were completely satisfied all the time? In fact, it, it kind of sounds like a, a really good political ad, doesn't it? I mean, y'all heard any political ads lately? Um, listen to this. Come vote for Jesus. He turns water into wine. He can make a meal go a mile. That's pretty good right there, right? Yeah. Here's the thing, Jesus was not running for office. Jesus was not a politician trying to get elected. In fact, John tells us that Jesus was not willing to be crowned as a political king. So amid all of the hullabaloo and amid all of the frenzy of this multitude, Jesus, instead of accepting all of that and going along with what they said, instead, John tells us that he went up on the mountainside to pray. He sought solitude, to pray. And then we read in verses 16 and 17 that when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now what John doesn't tell us in his account, but both Matthew and Mark do tell us, is that prior to his going to pray, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. Now that word made there, literally in the Greek, that, that verb literally means that Jesus strongly urged. He compelled them. We might even say it this way. He forced them to get into that boat and go to the other side. In other words, they really didn't want to leave him. They really didn't want to go away from the multitude and the crowd. But Jesus made them get in that boat. And you almost get the, the, the impression that when the last disciple crawled over the top and got inside that boat, it's Jesus that's pushing them away from the shore and forcing them to leave. Now, 
when you see that through looking at all those different accounts from, from the three gospel writers, the question that comes to my mind is why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, when we take into consideration that the multitude was all worked up and ready to take him by force to make him king, well, it's highly likely that Jesus wanted to get his disciples out of that because they probably would have said, yeah, that's a great idea. After all, he is the Messiah, and what better time than now for him to come into his kingship? But this, again, points us to the fact that Jesus did not come to be a political king. His goal was not to become that kind of king. The kind of kingship that Jesus came to be was something far different and far greater. So Jesus, he forces his disciples to get into this boat, and then they depart, and he leaves them and goes up on the mountainside to pray alone. And then we come to the ominous words that are there, there in the middle of verse 17 and 18. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come yet. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Man, those are just ominous words, right? Someone has said that this must have been Snoopy's favorite story in the Bible. You remember Snoopy, Charlie Brown's beloved little dog? You see those comic strips, and many of those comic strips begin with Snoopy up on top of his doghouse with his little typewriter there, and he's writing the next latest and greatest novel, and the novel always begins with the same words. It was a dark and stormy night. Well, it was a dark and stormy night for these disciples. You see, the Sea of Galilee sits 6,000 feet below sea level. It's like a bowl. And it sits there and it's filled with all the water of the sea is there. But what happens is, is this cold wind, cold air tends to move across the Mediterranean, comes off the Mediterranean, goes over the, the mountainside there and swoops down into that, that 6,000 feet below, that 600 feet below sea level and it encounters the warm, moist air of the sea and then begins to just create all kinds of churning water. This happens a lot at night on the Sea of Galilee and it makes boating, it makes being out fishing. As you hear a lot of stories about there being a lot of storms out at sea on the Sea of Galilee, it's because of the nature of how the Sea of Galilee is positioned there among those hills in the northern part of Israel. And we can even say it like this, the environment for sailors on the Sea of Galilee could often be hostile, especially at night. That's what happened on this night. And what compounded the situation for these disciples is that Jesus had not come with them. He had not come to them. He was not in the boat with them. He was somewhere else, and they were left to face this storm that they faced on the Sea of Galilee by themselves. And according to Mark's account, while Jesus was up on the mountainside praying, he looked out across the sea, and he could see them, and he saw his disciples straining at rowing for the wind was against them. In other words, we are presented with this picture of the disciples out in the middle of a boat, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, and they have a wind that is just blowing and battering their boat, keeping them from making any progress. And what was it that got them there? Obedience. 
It was obedience to Jesus that got them in that spot. You see, it's, it's easy for us sometimes to think about the storms of life that come upon us when, when, when God is, is sending those storms and we can think about him standing there and with his brow furrowed and all angry at us because we've been disobedient. And listen, disobedience to God invites storms into our lives. Don't, don't mistake me. But here... We see these disciples in this boat, on this sea, at this moment, facing a storm because of obedience, not disobedience. I like what Kent Hughes has written. He says, what a lesson for the church. He says, imagine what disobeying Jesus could have gotten those men that night. Perhaps could have gotten them a full stomach and a warm bed to sleep in someone's home and the opportunity to entertain and delight their hosts with stories about Jesus. Instead, they found themselves in the hull of a boat with their feet soaking in icy bilge water, straining at their oars. It was obedience to Jesus that made them so uncomfortable. So no matter what else we could say about the situation that's presented to us here in John chapter 6, We have to conclude from this passage, note the first observation that I've given to you there on your outline. We have to conclude this. Obeying Jesus in a hostile environment will often place us in the middle of a storm. Obeying Jesus in the middle of a hostile environment will often place us in the middle of a storm. Now listen, there are those who in the name of Christ, preach that when you become a Christian, life will suddenly get better for you, that that the difficulties of life will just miraculously melt away and disappear, and that your health and your finances and your relationships, everything is just going to suddenly get better. The only problem with that message is it's just not true. The only problem with that is that it does not square with what the Bible teaches. And the only problem with it is it doesn't square with our experiences in life either. You see, as Christians, we live in a hostile environment. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation." Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. Why would Peter write something like that? Peter wrote that because... As a sailor, as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, he knew just how hostile the environment in the Sea of Galilee could be to a sailor, and he also knew just how hostile the environment of the world is for believers. But we also have to realize that the hostility that we face as believers will often be compounded by our obedience to Christ's commands. Do you remember over in Acts chapter 16? When Paul sought the, Paul wanted to go into Asia to preach the gospel. But the Bible says very specifically that the Spirit of Jesus forbade him to go there. And then he had this vision in the middle of the night of a man from Macedonia who called out to him, Come over here and preach the gospel to us. So that's exactly what he did. 
Paul got up with his missionary friends. They went to Macedonia, ended up in the city of Philippi where he was proclaiming the gospel. One of the times that he was there, there was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon and she kept battering and badgering Paul to the point where he turned around and he cast the demon out of her. And we would think, man, that's a wonderful thing. Praise Jesus. But that is not how her slave owners reacted because Paul had just taken their source of income from them. And so they had Paul arrested where he was beaten and he was thrown into the prison. Listen, let me tell you, obeying Jesus in a hostile environment will often bring about storms into your life. Paul found that out repeatedly throughout his ministry. And these disciples found it out on that dark and stormy night out on the Sea of Galilee. Brothers and sisters, you and I will also find it out as we seek to obey God's call upon our lives in the hostile environment in which we live. So that provides us with the situation that these disciples found themselves in. But we need to dig a little deeper to see what else there might be that we can learn about ourselves and that we can learn about our Lord. John tells us that while this storm raged all around them, the disciples rode about three or four miles. Mark says they struggled in the process. Literally, they were straining against the oars. That word means that they were, they were suffering severe distress in their attempts to try to pull those oars back and make any progress against that headwind. And when that wind came up against them, it was so strong that the disciples had to work harder and harder and harder and harder. And this picture really gives us a sense of the, the lack of strength that they had. It tells us that they were basically ineffective in their attempts to move to the direction that they were trying to go. And my guess is there's some of you in this room that have felt that way as you've battled the storms that you're facing in your life, as you've gone up against the the trouble and the trials in which you, you feel very ineffective. You're trying as hard as you know how, but you just can't seem to make any headway. That leads me to the next observation that I think we ought to get from this text. It's this. The storms of life prove just how weak we are. The storms of life prove just how weak we are. The weakness of these disciples is on full display in this passage. It's even made clearer by what Matthew tells us. John says that they went down and got in the boat during the evening. Now, the way that the Jews reckoned that, that would have been sometime between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. at night. Probably just about dusk, they would have gotten onto that boat and moved out into that ocean. But Matthew tells us that Jesus came walking to them during the fourth watch of the night. How that is reckoned is that that, he came to them during the last watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, when you do a little math, you get to figuring out, wait a minute, that means these disciples were on that boat struggling against the wind that was preventing them from making any progress for six, seven, eight more hours. They're not only weak, they had to be exhausted. After their, all their efforts of rowing and straining for hours and hours, it wasn't accomplishing anything. They were at the mercy of the storm that was pushing them wherever it willed. Storms often do that, don't they? They come into our lives. They throw us off course. They move us out of the direction that we wanted to go in. We're trying as hard as we can to get the direction we want to go, but we can't get there. And those storms just prove how weak we actually are. 
Many of you know that firsthand. You're faced with situations that seem utterly hopeless to you. You've fought and you've struggled. You've tried hard to overcome your stresses. You've faced the pain of harassment, of of challenges that continue to beat against the hull of your boat, and the truth is you're tired. Some of you, you've concluded, I just don't have the strength to keep going. I wonder if you realize that your, your weakness is actually a strength. I wonder, I wonder if you recognize that God sometimes, sometimes sends us into the middle of a storm so that we have to come to grips with the fact that we are simply not strong enough on our own to face the storm alone. I want you to know that on the face of that, that probably is not very comforting to hear. In fact, it may seem somewhat fatalistic to consider the fact that obedience to Christ in a hostile environment will bring about storms which are too busy or too, too big for us. And, and, and when we're in the busyness of life, it seems too overwhelming for us to even handle on our own. But that's what makes what happens next such an encouraging thing. You see, the third observation that I want you to see this morning is this. Though, though obedience to Jesus in a hostile environment may often produce storms and and, and while those storms that come into our lives come and they prove to us that we're weak, what this passage reveals to us is that the storms of life also prove that Jesus is strong. Jesus is strong. I want you to think about this storm from the disciples' perspective. Here, here you are, you're wet, you're tired, you're exhausted, and, and, and hours and hours and hours you've been trying to row. And though we're not, it's not told to us specifically you just have to think that there's probably some on that boat that were fearful for their safety. But then all of a sudden, you look up and you see Jesus walking toward you on the water. Now, let me just say, there are some who've written a lot of different things to try to explain away how this is actually the case. They say, all right, they say that, well, the disciples actually really weren't that far from the shore to begin with. They were really just kind of scuttling the edge, but... They couldn't see that because, well, there was a storm in place. And so when Jesus came walking to them, he really wasn't on the water. He was on the shoreline, but they thought that he was on the water. I wish y'all could hear me and some of the things I say back to these folks that I read. I told the first service, I'll tell you, I was a preacher's kid and a sailor before I was a preacher. Some have tried to explain it away by saying Jesus was walking on little ice patches and things along that line. Let me tell you something. The truth is folks don't like to believe, and in fact, there are many who absolutely refuse to believe that a man could walk on water. Don't you see that's the actual point? Because Jesus was more than just a mere man. He is God in the flesh. And listen, the storms that we face in this life that cripple and exhaust us, well, the reality is that they are no match for him. And this miracle that he performed that day out on the Sea of Galilee proves that. And this miracle once again provides us with a glimpse into and a revelation of the deity of Christ. You see, this same Christ that spoke the world into existence, the same one who created the sea and the dry land, he has the ability to walk across the white caps of a storm-tossed lake right into the middle of the boat that his disciples are on. 
As one has put it, the same one who wrote the laws of nature and physics can also suspend those laws whenever he sees fit. Now, let's be honest. Power like that is scary. When you really consider all that Jesus has the ability to do, that's a fearful thing. In fact, I would suggest you go back and read all three accounts. You'll find that the fear that is talked about among the disciples is not relegated to them being fearful of the storm in which they're in. In fact, you don't read that. The fear that they had came when they saw Jesus walking toward them. John says that when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, they were afraid. Mark states that when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for, all, for they all saw him and were troubled. Listen, the power and the might of Jesus, the sheer nature of who he is and what he is able to do, it can produce fear in our hearts. In fact, I would go so far to say that if it doesn't, if our hearts aren't filled with reverential awe of him, then it's likely because we don't really see him or recognize his power. I think of a much later point in John's life. Here, John is probably a teenager in the boat with Jesus. Out on the boat with his other disciples here in John 6. I think about him much later in life when he was a full-grown man, an old man. and He'd been exiled to the island of Patmos. And he's there and and he hears this, this sound coming from behind him. And it's like the sound of a trumpet. And he turns around and he sees standing there among the seven lampstands of the church, the resurrected Jesus. And he sees him in all of his glory and all of his power. And John says, I fell flat on my face as a dead man. I want you to know when we don't take into consideration who it is that Jesus is, we often just think of him as merely our friend. We fail to recognize that as our friend, though, he is the supernatural God of all the universe who can do all things and has done all things and can create and can suspend the laws of nature and can walk on water. And those kind of powers, coupled with the friendship he has for sinners, is on full display in this passage. The disciples are out there on a boat in the middle of the sea, rowing as hard as they could in the middle of the storm. And I think it's safe to say they weren't expecting Jesus to show up at that particular point. They were just trying to survive. They're just trying to make some progress, some kind of headway. Suddenly, there he is walking toward them, and they were petrified. But notice what Jesus says to them. He calms their fears. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you know. I'm the one that you've got the relationship with. I'm the same one that sent you on this boat. It is I. Do not be afraid. There are some of you in the middle of awesome storms right now in your life, and you're facing terrible, terrible, terrible Read verse 20 again. Jesus says to you, it is I. Do not be afraid. What he is saying to his disciples is that he's revealing his identity to them in the middle of their fear and he's causing them, look, take your eyes off your circumstances. 
Take your eyes off all the things that are going on around you and concentrate on me. It is I, Jesus, your only hope. Do not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, he does the same for us. Our fears can only be dispelled by looking in in faith to Jesus and having our hearts occupied with him. I want you to know that if all you do is look around at your circumstances, you're going to be disheartened. If all you do is look inward and you see just how weak you are, you're going to be discouraged. Jesus calls you to lift your eyes and to look to him. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when we look at him, our fears will vanish. Why? Because when we, even though we face a mighty storm, even though we are weak, we look into the face of one who is infinitely strong. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That promise is also to all of us who belong to the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you, forsake you. That is the words of the Lord to us. And therefore, he concludes, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Listen, Jesus walked on the water to show his disciples that the raging, seething sea was merely a set of steps for him to come to them. And I want you to know the same is true for us. Often the difficult experiences of the life that we fear most, illnesses and the loss of a loved one and financial stresses and and any number of things of which we are worried about, often those stressors are are experiences that that we believe are going to swamp us and and, and throw us down and, and never let us back up. But the reality is that they are actually the very things that can bring us closer to Jesus. That is what this storm did for these disciples. And so how does this whole thing conclude? Well, Mark says that when Jesus got in the boat that the, that the wind stopped blowing. John says that when Jesus got in the boat, immediately he was that they were at the land where they were going. Some say that's a miracle inside a miracle, that that's another miracle that occurs. Whatever the case, I want you to know we see that Jesus shows up, and when he does, he changes things. But now wait just a moment. Just bear with me for a few more minutes. Hold on just a second. Because let me point out that the relief of that moment was not that the storm subsided and that the disciples were immediately at the shore. That, that's not really the relief. If that's what we think, if what we think is that we just want Jesus to show up, and when he does, he's just going to make everything better, we miss the point that is being communicated to us. You see, though the miraculous nature of Jesus is absolutely on full display in this passage, what we must understand is that this instance does not hold out the promise that the Lord will just always show up and take us out of life's difficulties and make our lives a bed of ease. Rather, what this passage teaches us is that Jesus promises to get us through the darkness. He promises to to get us through the violence. He promises that in the middle of the dark and stormy night, we have him to hold on to. The psalmist declares this in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. He says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you? O Lord, the, the faithfulness also, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 46, verse 1 is is one of my favorite verses. In fact, the entire psalm is one of my favorites. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, the psalmist says, we will not fear even though the earth be removed. Did you notice he didn't say that the earth would not be removed? He says, even if it is removed, 
We will not fear. Even if the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, even if the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, God is still our refuge and strength, and we don't have to fear that. Brothers and sisters, those words and this story here in John's gospel should encourage each of us. The strength of his power should cause us to worship him and rejoice in his glory. Because the reality is this, as believers, we live in a hostile environment and we're going to encounter storms. And oftentimes those storms will come as the result not of our disobedience, but of our obedience to Christ. And when they come, we will learn very quickly that in ourselves we are weak. The storms are more powerful than we are. But Jesus, Jesus is strong. He is the God of the universe, the maker of everything seen and unseen. He can give bread to the hungry. He can come to us at the point of our greatest need. And he can safely carry us through the storm. And that's what leads me to my sermon in the sentence this morning, which is this. Even though we will encounter storms in our life, we must look to Jesus and rejoice in his glory because he is strong and he will carry us through the storm. My prayer is that the study of this passage will provide comfort and encouragement to you as you go through whatever storm you may be facing. However, I also pray that it will cause you to face the reality of the fact that Jesus is your only hope. Listen, the storms that that, that these disciples faced and the storms that we face in our own lives, they only serve to remind us that death is always there. The, the, The threat of death is always before every single one of us. You see, the Bible tells us that because of sin, all of us face the certainty of death. And listen, it's not just the, the storm of physical death. It is the greater and much more horrifying storm of spiritual death, which eternally separates us from God. However, just as Jesus displayed his mighty power and calmed the winds and he calmed the waves on this Sea of Galilee, I want you to know he has the mighty power to come in and calm the storm of death in your life. The scriptures teach that those who are facing the sure and and certain spiritual death because of their sin, if they will acknowledge their sin and they will cry out to God to save them, then he will do so through what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Jesus miraculously rescued his disciples from the storm they face, and he promises to do the same for those of you who will place your faith in him and be saved. If you've never done that, then I invite you to do it today. Today, I invite you to receive the Lord's salvation and rescue from the deadly storm that's been caused by your sin. I invite you to trust in Christ, and I invite you to be saved. Perhaps you've, that is your testimony, then if you're going through the middle of a storm right now, I want you to know that the Lord cares for you and that if you will cry out to him, he will come to you. He will not always come exactly when you want him to come, but he will come at just the right moment. He is the infinite savior of the world. He is never late. He is always on time. And he will always bring you the peace that you need. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people.
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this text. We thank you for this picture that is painted for us so clearly of your provision of peace in our lives in the midst of storms. My prayer is is that if there's one who is out there this morning listening, sitting in this room, one that comes across this sermon sometime later online, your Holy Spirit would use these scattered words this morning, but this wonderful passage of Scripture in which there is no error, to bring about conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, to, to remind them that their only hope is in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would use that to draw them to you in a deep and abiding relationship. Father, for these, my friends, many who are here this morning going through the tough times, my heart goes out to them. Lord, my prayer is that you would strengthen them for the journey in which they are on. Help them to be reminded that you are strong and that you're dependable and you're faithful. And that you will never leave them or forsake them. This is my prayer, and I pray it in the name of Christ and for his sake.